So one of my favorite places to go is Barnes & Noble Bookstore. I hope they stay in business. Uh, we're accessing literature a lot of different ways, but I love holding a physical copy of a book in my hand. And so my son Luke takes piano lessons from Pastor Penny, and her neighborhood is across the street from Scottsdale Center, where Barnes & Noble is. And so every week, I have 25 glorious minutes where I can go to Barnes & Noble and I can walk up and down the aisles and look at different books. And it's what, we like, what I like to call a little bit of me time. Um, and, and I actually tried to talk Paul into continuing with piano lessons selfishly because that would mean 55 minutes of glorious me time every week where I can walk up and down the aisles of Barnes & Noble. Uh, but, but he's busy with band and other things, so it's just 25 minutes. And so um, there I was this week, and I was thinking about this message in Proverbs 15 and where we're going to be, and uh, I would, that was sort of marinating in my mind as I was walking up and down the aisles, picking up different books. I found myself in the self-help section. Now, the self-help section has actually been renamed the personal growth section. So, but what we used to know as self-help you can go to any bookstore and you can find a variety of titles under this heading of personal growth. So this is where I was. I was in the personal growth section and I, I just wanted to take a picture of it to show you the variety of titles, the variety of authors that are out there that are trying to help us grow. Now I will tell you this, I had to take my, my phone and scratch out a few of the titles um, because the words in the titles, let's just say they're not Sunday morning approved. And so apparently if you want to grow, if you want to make progress and achieve goals, uh, apparently you need to use profanity, I suppose. Um, but uh, but here, here I am in the personal growth section. And the reason this is applicable for us today is because uh, this is a collection of the gurus of our day, the people who they've achieved something or they've you know, accomplished something in life, and they feel like they have something to share. They feel like they have some kind of wisdom to impart to help you in your personal growth. Now, I will say there, there were a lot of very helpful resources there dealing with all kinds of different issues related to finances or addiction or time management or how to be a better leader, lots of different things, lots of wisdom, lots of helpful things there. But in the 25 minutes of glorious me time that I had, I decided to just pick up a few titles and to see what the collected wisdom of our culture was saying to help people who want to grow personally. So I um, have a few passages I'd like to read for you. This is, this is from the most wise people in our world that are wanting you to grow and achieve your goals. Uh, I read something about the busyness and the pace of our life that, that we keep. And this author says this, time passes frighteningly quickly and routine kills creative minds. Don't overwork yourself. Get out. Enjoy long walks. Steal smiles. Lose your heart to, to, to only that, that work that matters. The one that makes you feel closer to your happier inner self. Treat yourself. Your kindness and your mind will always pay you back. Okay, so for those of you that are unhappy with your work, um, 
I'm not sure what this author is telling us. I think our author is saying that somewhere we need to find our happier inner self. I don't know if your boss cares about your happier inner self. Uh, If you had the opportunity to find your happier inner self, you probably wouldn't be reading this book. You would probably be uh, you would probably uh, have it all figured out and wouldn't waste time, uh, or at least reading 200 pages of, of how to connect with your happier inner self. I'm not sure who that is, not sure how helpful that is, uh, but that's what they had to say about how busy we are. Uh, I picked up another book, and it was encouraging people to be adventurers, to break out of routines, and to travel. And this is what this uh, writer said Don't get too attached to a place. Never. Home is not a place. Home is a feeling. If you feel like your heart is in Denmark, then move to Denmark. You're never too young or too old to start over. The perfect time is now. Break the walls of your comfort zone and run, forest, run. Man, do you need a little adventure in your life? Be like Forrest Gump. Did, don't, did, is Tony Robbins telling us to be like Forrest Gump? Like, is that the advice that we're getting here today? Uh, if you want to go to Denmark, church, just go to Denmark right now. Sounds fun, I guess, but let me tell you why I'm not going to Denmark today. Uh, I've made a series of things called, um, well, maybe you've heard of these things, Commitments. And I've made a commitment to this gal named Lauren, and I've made a commitment to these young men named Paul and Luke, and I've made a commitment to this place and this people called Bentonville Community Church, and I've made a commitment to a 12U baseball team called the Naturals, and for the next 18 years, seven months, and five days, I've made a pretty big commitment to Arvest Bank. And these commitments are saying that I can't just run off and go to Denmark. Um, That I have things that I need to do and commitments I need to honor and I need to keep. Apparently I'm missing out on a chance to grow personally. Um, This is what the personal growth section of the bookstore is telling me to do. Well, if you did want to run off to Denmark, which I know some of you want to do right now. If you did, uh, you know, how, how might one do that? Um, and I'm, I'm asking for a friend, by the way. Uh, the book goes on to explain. The same, same passage, same book. You're probably telling me you need money to travel. So here's your answer. Use Mamundo. Mamondo? I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Use Mamondo or any other smart website to pick a cheap flight. Get there, and the rest will simply follow. Try couch surfing at first, and then freelancing to afford your own place. Don't be afraid to live just for once. Yeah. So what I'm telling you is that the personal growth section of the bookstore is wanting you to achieve your goals, and here's how you're going to do it. You're going to connect with your happier inner self by following the example of Forrest Gump. And you're going to run to Denmark where you will couch surf and live with a guy named Sven. And you will try to find a job in a country that speaks a language that you don't know. 
Man, if you were to do that today, oh, you would grow so much. You, you would grow so much. Um, that is what I found in the personal growth section of the bookstore, which is why we're going through the book of Proverbs. Because the book of Proverbs represents the collected wisdom of the people of God. A, a people who have made commitments to God and they've made commitments to each other. And they are wanting to say to the community of people, we want to live in ways that thrive. We want to live in ways that bring glory and honor to God. We want to live in ways that build healthy relationships with each other. And, and this is the way that we found it to work. This is what we found to be, to be helpful. There's a, there's a better way than becoming Forrest Gump and couch surfing in Denmark. You can live in relationship with God, and by living in relationship with God, you participate and you partake of life that is truly life. And so friends, wisdom is this gift. Wisdom is a gift from God that enables us to discern the best way to live. Now, what is the best way to live? How do we grow personally, grow spiritually, grow relationally? How do we achieve certain goals in our life that are in alignment with the will and the plan of God? We have the book of Proverbs. We have the wisdom literature. We have this way of life that's contained there in Scripture. And so we go to that place and we seek this life-giving way. And in many ways, the decision before us is, is similar to what Robert Frost described as the road less traveled. You remember he says, two roads diverged in a wood. And he begins to describe taking one of those two ways. This is what happens in the book of Deuteronomy. As Moses is standing before the Israelites, they're about to cross over into the promised land. Moses knows he's not going to be able to go into the promised land. And so he stands before the Israelites and gives this kind of farewell address. And in that address, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he speaks a word from the Lord to them. And he says, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. You want a way that's life-giving? The Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the people of God are, are standing there about to go off into the promised land and they have a choice. Do we follow the life-giving ways of the Lord? And do we live in these very peculiar ways that are consistent with the will of God? The first few books of the Old Testament describe these peculiar ways. There's a lot of passages we don't read very often. Passages in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy kind of says it all again. Here's what you eat. Here's how you treat people. Here's what you say when you're angered. This is justice that is, should be given to all. This is how you treat widows and foreigners. And this is what it means to live as the people of God. Here are the Israelites coming out of Egypt, a group of slaves. How are these people going to be shaped into a great nation? And so the Lord gives his laws. And for 40 years, they figure out what it means to live by these laws. And then Finally, they're, they're, they have the chance to go into the promised land. 
And what Moses is saying is if we want to find life, then we need to live according to these peculiar, distinct ways that God is laying out for us. And it's going to be different than the ways of the nations around us. And in the book of Joshua, we see this works pretty well. Because the people there in Deuteronomy, they say, yeah, 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 yeah. We want all that. We choose life. And then they go into the promised land and they settle the promised land. And as the book of Joshua concludes, we go into this epic of Israelite history known as Judges. And the most common refrain in the book of Judges is this. Everyone did what was evil in their own eyes. Or everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. That's the actual phrase. Everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. In Deuteronomy, we choose life. Yeah, 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 give us that. We want to live by by those peculiar ways of God. But in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What happened between, yeah, 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 choose life, to everybody doing what was right in their own eyes? What happened to them is what happens to us. We make a decision to follow Jesus, and everything about this is good. Jesus did so much for us. In response to this love, we come to him and we give him our heart and we give him our life. And we're filled with his spirit and we're enabled to to live this life he's called us to live. And oh, by the way, you spend eternity with him, which is a great option compared to the alternative. And so, yeah, 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 yeah. Give us that. We choose life. But from the moment we choose Jesus... In the, in the hundreds of decisions we make every day, every one of those decisions that we make every day, every one of the decisions that we make every week, all of them have the potential to lead us down the road to destruction or to lead us down the road of life. And so often we don't have the, the perspective, we don't have the sovereignty, we don't have the, the knowledge, we're not all knowing like God is, we can't see the outcomes for every decision. And so we make all of these decisions not realizing that they have particular outcomes and particular consequences. We're just in the the crucible of life, and we're making decisions about our money, and we're making decisions about our time, and we're making decisions about all of these really earthy things that we deal with every day. And what The way Proverbs functions in our life is to say there is a community of people who've been there before. They've managed money. They've managed time. They've managed relationships. And they have collected their wisdom and they've said, this is how you manage money. This is how you manage time. This is how you manage relationships. This is what you say when you're angry. This is how you respond when someone else is angry. And they collect it here in the Bible and and they give us very specific ways that we can make decisions every day that bring our life into alignment with the will of God. And so so we have the opportunity to choose life or to choose death. The unfortunate thing is that we don't realize how far down the road to destruction that we are many times until we're reaping a consequence of a hundred or a thousand decisions before it. And so sometimes it plays out like this. Your spouse looks at you and says, this is not working. I don't love you anymore. 
wait, wait, wait. We, we stood before friends and we stood before God and we made a promise to choose life with each other. And we looked at each other and we said, yeah, 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 yeah. I do, I do, I do, I do. But that one decision to choose life and to choose life with each other has to be backed up by a thousand decisions every day, every week, every month in the regular rhythm of our life. It has to be backed up with decisions that say, I am going to be faithful to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to cherish you in sickness and in health. And something so, the, 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 the difficult thing about it is, is that, that so many times we, we make these small decisions that we don't think subtract from the relational bank with our spouse. Oh, that's not going to make a difference. That's not going to matter. That's not going to affect my family. But over the course of time, you make a thousand withdrawals. And then you're running a deficit. And then you get to a point where the deficit is too great and, and a husband and a wife look at each other and they say, we're just too far gone. There's just not enough here to build a marriage on. And the marriage ends. Didn't happen overnight. It happened after a series of decisions. And that's true of, of lots of different things in our life. You wake up one day and you realize, I, I think I'm addicted to pornography. You wake up one day and I, I can't control my consumption of alcohol. And you wake up one day and, and I, I, I have to use drugs in some way. I, I can't stop using drugs in, in some way. You wake up one day and you're down this path that leads to death and destruction. And it wasn't one decision that got you there. It was the culmination of hundreds and thousands of decisions that on the surface didn't appear to have any kind of spiritual value. But they did. And so here's what Proverbs is saying to us. Verse 24, Proverbs 15. The path of life leads upward for the prudent to keep them from going down to the realm of the dead. It's a great summary statement of like all the different things that Proverbs addresses is that we're talking about money and we're talking about relationships and we're talking about habits and we're talking about anger because all of these, this, all of these things there in Proverbs are intended to keep you on the right path. It's intended to keep you moving upward towards the things of God and to keep you from moving downward towards the path of destruction. And so let's talk about some of the, the, the way this functions in our life and, and how we can lean in to Proverbs to keep us on the path of life. I, 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 would, I would say to you that, uh, uh, again, what we talked about last week is that Proverbs is primarily concerned with the formation of your character. It's primarily concerned with the formation of your character, which is the moral quality of the choices that you make every day. And if we could drill down even deeper to that, I love what one writer says. He says, character is largely a bundle of habits. It's this moral quality of the decisions we make that, that defines our character. Well, that is defined by the habits that we have in our life. So, so friends, think about your, your life. You live it in particular rhythms. You have a daily rhythm. There's certain things you do every day. In addition to that, you have a weekly rhythm. There's certain things you do 
every week. These are the primary building blocks of our habits. And so Proverbs is saying daily, what habits are you engaging in? As you engage in these habits, these things that you do every day or fail to do every day, how are they in alignment with the will of God? How are they life-giving? Same thing as you take stock of your weekly routines. What is it that you're doing on a weekly basis as a habit that is contributing to your character? And here's what we know about the power of habit, is that it has the power to form you in a positive way, in a way that is more aligned to the will of God, and it has an equal power to malform you, to form you in a way that is contrary to the will of God in your life. And so habits are incredibly important in your life. And so let's talk about habits today, habits that form and malform us. And I'm going to talk about something that I think affects us all. My guess is, pretty close to you, you might have one of these with you right now. It, it's hard to go, oh, my fantasy team, is that's cool. Oh, wait, I'm preaching, sorry. Um, chances are you have one of these near you. And chances are this plays a, a daily role in your life. Um, and we're going to talk about these a little bit today. And I just want to say it's not going to be fun, okay? But before we do... Uh, I even hesitate to bring this up because uh, how many of you remember preachers? Actually, no one in this room is old enough to remember this. But there was a time, some of you are like, oh, just try me, Pastor, just try me. But there was a time when preachers would get up on a Sunday morning and they would rant and they would rail about the television. Man, they would talk about how evil the television was and how the, the television is going to destroy our life and you better not revi miss revival service to watch Leave it to Beaver. Only a, a pagan would do that. And they would, they would just rant and rail and talk about how destructive the TV was. I mean, this is in the 50s. I mean, Ward and June were sleeping in separate beds at this time. Which I, how did they have such a happy marriage sleeping in separate beds? Like, that's what I want to know. Okay, you know that wasn't real, right? Um, first service laughed at that. You guys are uptight, okay? But in the, in the 50s and the 60s, preachers were talking about the dangers of, of the television. And, and from my perspective, from, from many of your perspectives, we look back at that and we say, oh, so legalistic. I mean, I can't believe people would call watching television a sin. I can't believe people would preach against it. I can't believe, uh, you, know, you know, people would be kicked out of the church for buying a television, you know. And these kinds of things happen. And, and so we've learned a few lessons from that period of time. We've learned a few things about legalism, and we've learned a few things about um, these, these, these things that play active daily roles in our life, and the television obviously is one of them, and this little device is one of them. And so we have to think about this device in terms of how it was originally created. This device was originally created to make your life easier and smarter. Humans created this device, and they did so to accomplish certain things. Um, for, for example, 
uh, I, I, many of you know that my dad was a pastor. And, and my dad would do things, I, I remember being with him or watching him do things that would take hours. I, I remember watching him drive across town to do things, making, making those kinds of commitments of time and space to accomplish certain things that it meant to be the pastor of Orangeburg First Church of the Nazarene. Those same things my dad used to do that required time and space, I literally accomplished with a text message. I'm serious. In fact, in fact, those times that I do invest time and space to do some of the things my dad did, which I do very willingly and lovingly, and, I, and I, I'm glad to do it, and I want to do it. But there have been times where I've done those things that require time and space. And some of you have just said, Pastor, it's really nice, but you could have just texted me. And I'm like, oh, well, thanks. But I'm here, and I'm glad I'm here, and I'm glad you're here. And it just sort of demonstrates how these devices actually accomplish what we intended for them to do. They make our life easier. And there's a very utilitarian function to these things. Yesterday I was trying to go, go somewhere, and I said, I'm not going to say your name because she'll wake up if I say your name, okay? But I, I talked to this magic person that lives in my phone, and I said, give me directions to Kessler Mountain Ballpark in Fayetteville. And she took me right there. She didn't talk back either. She just did what I told her to do. And it was great. But there comes a point where the tool, the master creates the tool, but have we gotten to a point where the tool has now become the master? Have we gotten to a point where the, 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 the tool is shaping our life and changing the way we relate to one another? There is the potential for this device to kind of transcend its original purpose and contribute not to our formation, but to our malformation. And so I want to ask you a few questions. These, this does emerge from the world of psychology, and I will say it with this preface. I am not a psychologist. I don't pretend to be. The only thing worse than a preacher that thinks he's a psychologist is a psychologist that thinks he's a preacher. But, 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 but these questions I want to ask you are, are helpful. Answer, answer these questions in your mind for me. Do you constantly check your phone even if you know there are no new alerts? Do you have anxiety or worry when you are away from your phone? Have your kids ever said, Dad, Mom, why are you on your phone so much? Do you prefer texting instead of talking face-to-face, -face, even when the person you need to communicate with is a friend, a neighbor, a family member, and this is not an exaggeration. I've literally had husbands and wives tell me it's easier to text my spouse. That's where we're at. Number five, are you angered, saddened, or stressed out by what you read on social media? Like, does this device pump content into your life that is malforming you and creating anxiety in your life? And there's something physiological and psychological that's happening here, these devices, they connect us to people out in cyberland. They don't necessarily connect us to people that we actually share spatial proximity with.
but they connect us to people who are out there in the world somewhere. And we put a picture on Facebook, and they like it. Oh, they like it. And sometimes they hold the button down a little bit longer, and they love it. And you're like, oh, man, not only did they like it, but they loved it. That's so cool. And your phone sends you this notification that they liked your picture or your video. Sometimes they even loved it, and it makes you feel good inside. Well, that feeling that you have is your brain releasing a little bit of dopamine. And, and it, it's, it, it's just, it's just you're, you're being rewarded. The, the, the sensation of, of being known and being seen and being rewarded is happening there on your device, and it's releasing this little bit of dopamine, and you say, man, I like that. I don't only like it, I love it. And so what the body does is it takes us to things that help us create that feeling. So this is happening when people like and they love our stuff. They may not be our neighbors. They may not be people we go to church with. They might be someone we haven't even heard of somewhere out there in cyber world. But they're tying us to this device because we're getting this little shot of dopamine every time we go to it. And so the role these devices play in our life is important for us today because they form our habits. They control our habits. And the question for us, the question for the people of God is, is, is how, how do we use these devices in a way so that we fulfill the purpose that we were created? Do you realize the purpose you were created for? You were created to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You were created to love your neighbor as yourself. You were created to, to share that with the world. You were created to be a blessing to your community. And praise the Lord, these devices actually help you do that. They help you. They, they serve a purpose in that sense. But at what point does this double-edged sword turn on us? And at what point do they keep us from loving God and keep us from loving others? And so we just need to look in the mirror and, they, and, and ask, is, my, is the usage of this device, this habit that is created in my life, is it leading me down the path of life? Or does my usage and my engagement with this device lead me towards a path of destruction? Is this a habit that is helpful and life-giving? Or is this a habit that is hurtful and life-taking? So who had the best habits? Who is someone we can go to that had great habits and we can emulate them? And the easy answer, especially on a Sunday morning at church, is Jesus as we go to the Gospels today, and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to demonstrate this for you. I don't have time to take you through all the episodes in Jesus' life. But there was a rhythm. There was a cycle that happened in his life. What I'm going to call habits of grace. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live in habits of grace. And so let's, let's talk through this cycle this morning. The first habit that we see in Jesus' life is this habit of solitude. He always took time to receive from the Father. And he, and he demonstrates that for us as a model. That no matter what you have to do, no matter what your responsibilities are, at some point in that schedule, there needs to be some time of solitude where you receive from the Father. So I love the Bible app. I recommend it. I hope you have it on your phone. But what happens to me more often than not is I sit down from my habit of solitude, and I've got my Bible app, and i got my reading plan out, 
and I'm reading the book of Romans, which is where I'm at right now, and I get a message, and I get a notification, and I want to stay here on the Bible app and read Romans, but if I go over here, there's a little bit of dopamine, and so sometimes, more often than not, the notification gets my attention instead of the book of Romans on the Bible app. So I'm making a decision. So for my habit of solitude, I love the Bible app. hope you use it. But this is, this is a pretty good resource right here. <laughs> this is a pretty good resource. And nobody's going to interrupt me when I'm, when I'm here. And so as we build out this time of solitude, maybe we need a physical copy with these like little thin pages. No other book you have in your library makes that noise, right? Let's start making that noise a little bit. And, and let's, let's spend time in solitude receiving grace from God. Jesus also shows us this habit of community. And this is time to reciprocate grace with others. He spent time with his followers. He got away from the crowd. They shared life together. They ate together. And for us, is exactly what you're doing this morning. Congratulations. You're, you're engaging in a habit of grace. You're engaging in this habit of community. It took time to get the kids ready for church today. It took time for you to get ready for church. You had to fight to find a parking spot. Thank you. But what's happening here is we are reciprocating grace. We have received grace and, and we extend grace. And we hear the songs of the people of God and we're reminded that we're not alone. We're reminded that there's people in life's journey with us. And it's here in this community that we reciprocate, reciprocate, we exchange grace with each other. And it's awesome. And then Jesus shows us this rhythm of ministry. And this is time in which we give grace. Friends, we can't just be takers. We've got to be givers. We've got to find ways that are life-giving in which we can give grace to others. Just as we've received, we are now sent to give. And sometimes that's volunteering to serve here at the church. Sometimes that is making investments in people outside of ourselves, in our community and in our neighborhoods. We can't just be a taker. We've got to be a giver. I just want to say how much I hesitated to even step on your toes this morning and talk about the way we use our phones. Hope you know that this message is just as much for me as it is for any of you. These are things that I have been convicted of. And as I think about the path before us, there's two roads that are converging. And as I go down this path of life, I always want to make sure that my habits, my daily choices, my weekly routines are consistent with the will of God. So we're in this together. But what I hope you are not hearing is that, that you somehow, you know, just need to pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Yeah, you're right, pastor. Spend too much time on my phone. Takes away from my family. I just need to do better. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps today. I'm just going to buckle down. I'm going to do better. You see, that's not the gospel. We're not people of works. We're people of grace. And we're people of good news. 
And the good news of Jesus Christ is that God has done in Christ what we could not do for ourselves. And that begins with the story of salvation. It begins with, with God who sends his one and only son into the world to die for our sins so that we can live in this life-giving way. And so, yeah, there's a call to change some habits. But friend, this call is to, more importantly than, than you going out and making some kind of change, the first question today is, am I trusting fully? in what God has done for me? Am I trusting fully in God's Holy Spirit? Am I taking advantage of the, the Holy Spirit of God that empowers me to change these habits? Because if you're trusting on yourself, it's not going to work. But if you're trusting in the Lord and the gifts that He's given through His Holy Spirit, that's where real life transformation happens. So friends, I invite you to the table today. We're going to come here to the table and we're going to receive communion because the last thing I want you to hear today is just go do better, people. Just do better. you got to do better. Now, what I want you to know, what we want to celebrate today is what Christ has done for us. And because of what Christ has done for us, we can live in this life-giving way because of God's Holy Spirit that's been given as a free gift, we can be empowered to journey this way that is life-giving. And so let's end here today around the Lord's table, holding these elements of grace, these symbols of Christ's broken body and his shed blood. I'm going to invite our servers to come, and they're going to prepare to serve you today. They're going to stand here at the right and the left of our sanctuary. And let me just say a word as we prepare. First of all, you do not have to be a member of Bentonville Community Church to take communion. This feast is for all the Lord's disciples. And so today, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've put your hope and your trust in him, you are invited to come. All are welcome here at the table. All of Christ's disciples are welcome here at the table. So come and, and receive grace today. Just as a practical matter, um, these are our communion elements, and this is our COVID-safe solution. And so let me explain that a little bit. When you, when you get this packet in your hand, you're going to unwrap the top layer, and that's going to reveal the bread. So then you have this purple foil, and you'll unwrap that, peel that back carefully, and it's a little cumbersome, but that will reveal the juice. This is not our forever mode of communion, but it is our mode of communion for now. Um, and so in a moment, I'll invite you to stand and, and, and the worship team will play and you will come and you will receive the, the communion packet. And I just ask you to go back to your seat to unwrap its contents and be prepared and hold it in your hand so that we can all receive together. So let me pray. Or would you stand? Let me pray and we'll, we'll come to the table today. Father, we thank you 
for this good news of what you have done in Christ. We are not responsible for saving ourselves, nor are we responsible for transforming ourselves. We are saved by grace, and we are transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, remind us of that today as we prepare our hearts to partake of your broken body and your shed blood. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.